0: This is an eavesdropping conversation. I am Heather Roach. I am sitting in my studio on Telegraph Hill, and today I'm speaking to Juliet Fraser, who is sitting at home in her dining room in Stepney. Hi, Juliet.
1: (laughs) Hi, Juliet. Hi, Heather. You're already
0: laughing at me. Very good. Okay. How does it feel to be on the uh, on the other side of the microphone, so to speak?
1: Um, you know what? I think I'm blushing. Um... Yeah, I think you are. (laughs) Um, it feels it feels quite strange and. And really fun. Thank you so much for doing this, by the way. It's really, it's really nice. It's
0: absolutely my pleasure. Uh, so I think we should start as you always do with your podcast. And um, why don't you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work as an artist?
1: Okay. Um, well, I'm a soprano. That's really what I am, though I pretend to be other things occasionally. Um, and I'm a specialist in new music, it seems. <laughs> um, it's not That's not exactly where I started out. Um, I actually started singing quite late. I was a cellist when I was very little, but then was an oboist uh, very seriously through from about the age of 14 to 20. And that was my plan to become an oboist. Um, but I suddenly changed my mind and started singing seriously in my last year at university. Um, and I was already interested in what I called modern music then, but, um, I think my career really started, uh, with more of a weighting towards early music Mm. and that's still something that I do, but over time it's, it's shifted and now it's probably 80 or yeah, 80 or 85% uh, new music in the portfolio but I I fight to keep a little bit of early music in there too just to keep me sane
0: yeah I'm always quite jealous actually because I think that's uh that's something that as a clarinet player I don't really have access to (laughs) uh, yeah
1: you meant you mentioned that yesterday on whatsapp that the clarinet doesn't really do anything before Mozart and it's stupid to say but that hadn't really occurred to me I'm so sorry for you (laughs) As an oboist, we had loads of loads of early music. I think that's where the the kind of binary split um, started for me because I was doing all the Albinoni and Vivaldi and um, all that stuff. Um, and then I was, and then f- you see, for the oboe, you've got all the Baroque repertoire, and then okay, you've got Mozart concerto and um, a couple of Mozart concertante or chamber pieces. Um, And then there's like some slightly crap bit of Schumann. And then it's the Strauss concerto. And then it picks up again at late 19th century and early 20th century. So my party pieces were Albanoni and Hindemith. And then as the singer, it's just got a bit more extreme, I suppose. (laughs) with um, Let's say Jesualdo and well, whatever you want, whoever you want from today.
0: But, I mean, you say you say that you do it to sort of keep yourself sane, but I imagine these two practices actually feed into each other in, in um in a much more sort of organic and less ironic <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah,
1: I suppose they do. I mean, um, I think somebody asked me once how my approach is different, and I felt a bit irritated and said, "It's not different. It's all just music." Mm. I mean. You have to work out how to make your instrument handle the the communicative or expressive ideas that you have, and the process of learning something, whether it's alone in your studio before you before you come together with an ensemble or whatever, or whether it's um, with my ex Audi colleagues on early music. the pro- The process is just finessing all of all of that it's coming to some sort of um interpretative decisions um and finding finding a way to to realize that so you're right I don't I don't feel that there's a distinction and they they feed they feed one another like anything just because I'm a creature that needs a bit of variety um if I were doing only one sort of new music that would also drive me mad so it's important for me to have different sorts of music making whether it's on my own or with ensembles or uh, collaborative projects or semi-improvisatory projects or extremely hardcore um, notes on paper projects you know it's the variety is I think what what keeps my practice going.
0: And that also extends um, outside of your practice as a performing musician I imagine and we'll talk about the series in a second but um would you like to say a few words about your label as well
1: oh I forgot about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so I run a little independent label with two friends of mine Newton Armstrong who's a composer and Mark Knoop, who's a pianist um that's to simplify both of them of course quite dramatically um and uh we've released two batches of recordings um and this whole project the record label came to be because newton and i had been having a lot of conversations about the frustration of trying to release our own projects. Um, the, in particular, the time lag between normally having to fund and undertake the recording yourself and then try and get a label to take it, raise the money to pay the label, and then by the time it's out, it's quite often a year, 18 months, sometimes even two years since you actually recorded the project. Um, and with new music, that just felt too slow um, I was frustrated because I always felt that I'd developed as an artist since then and then what was actually coming out was like, Oh my gosh, that's how it sounded two years ago. <laughs> <It's> kind of <laughs> a little bit a little bit cringy. And also for the for the composers of the new works, you know, you want you want it to be out and available so much sooner. So we had a lot of conversations about whether whether we thought we could offer something different, and I don't think we can definitively answer That's yet, the the whole venture is too new. But um, the general thrust of it really is to offer artists um, as cheap a deal as we can, which we are able to undercut most labels because the three of us do everything for nothing. Um, And to try and work with them to talk about projects that, that are happening now, um, so that the, the gap between recording and release is, um, well, it tends to be somewhere between three and six months. Or if somebody already has a project, which happens quite rarely because we like to be involved throughout, then I suppose it might be a year. But anyway, a shorter time frame than is sadly
0: often the case. Mm-hmm. So tonight, because of the virus, you're not going to be presenting a set no. Alas.
1: Alas. Alas.
0: Indeed. Can you tell us what you would have done for us? So that we can all imagine in our minds.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, kind of. I can kind of tell you. Um so my plan was to uh to test out a new module of the tracery project which is a collaborative project i have with composer cassandra miller which we would have been giving the official premiere of at mertz music in berlin tomorrow night being saturday night um we were scheduled to do three modules of tracery there um one of which was to be a new one which has been commissioned by them um so that means that I'm well, for various reasons, there's nothing that I can present even in a virtual capacity um, because the module well, we didn't get to the stage actually of completing a new module because it all got interrupted. Um, and in any case, I think there's probably a question about um releasing something that has that has been o- officially commissioned by Mertz music. so that that's all somewhat on hold. Um, But there would have been a new module of tracery and there also would have been a, again, a sort of test performance of a new piece by Nomi Epstein, which I've just recorded for a new album, which is coming out in April. I've just heard actually yesterday that it is still coming out in April, that fortunately it's um, been squeezed through just at the last minute. On on what Um, label is that coming out so that we can... That's coming out on the HCR label, Huddersfield Contemporary Records, um, which is a uh, subsidiary now of the NMC label. Um, And on that disc are four recent works written for me for voice and electronics or tape by composers Lisa Ilian, Nomi Epstein... Sivan, Eldar and Lawrence Dunn and Nomi's is it's really interesting because it's what she calls a recording project piece so the the score is a list of instructions it's a it's called collections for Juliet and the collections are of Glissandi so she gives instructions as to the duration or the range or it could be one or other of those or or a combination um, which you simply record in the studio and then you as the performer arrange a collage of those collections of glissandi um, to make the piece so we went through that process for the recording but um, what what I would have been presenting tonight would have been a, a test run of a performance version, which requires essentially extracting one of the voices because each of the, gl- each of the collections of Glissandi is a stacking up of three or four voices. Um, so so Mark Knoop and I have um, spent some time working out which Glissandi to make the live version. And so we would have been trying that tonight ahead of the launch performances at the beginning of April, which have, of course, just been cancelled. Um, and similarly, I can't share that with our wonderful eavesdropping audience because, really, it's it's the recording project is um, reserved for for the CD um, and for the label. So you'll have to wait until April to hear that one, <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, and there was, was there another piece. Yes. Yeah, there is another piece. Um, uh, Well, I hadn't quite decided, but I had the idea that I would do a spontaneous encore, which is very un-eavesdropping, but nonetheless, I thought it would be a a bit ridiculous. So that's normally a good idea Um, (laughs) to do uh, a short extract from Richard Ayres's Number Forty Two in the Alps. Oh, brilliant! Yes, indeed. I I love that that piece. which I performed, as you know, in Southampton um, in February with Ben Oliver and uh, I I think they're called the Hartley Loop Orchestra um, at Southampton University. Um, It's the most amazing piece. And uh, the soprano doesn't actually sing for about the first 12 minutes, but when she does sing, it's quite an entrance. (laughs) Um, Beginning with with Bleating Like a Goat, then oinking like a swine, Um, and then eagles and cicadas and various other animals are introduced because I found myself in the Alps as the result of a plane crash when I was an infant and was raised by the Alpine animals, so... That's how I. That's how I communicate. So, and we have just been com- given permission this morning by Shot to put up a three-minute excerpt um, of my performance. So that is something that um, that I'll be putting up on the Eavesdropping SoundCloud page. One of the things that I'll, I'll be sharing with people to to well just to share something really with people today in lieu of the live
0: performance. Excellent. So I'm sure, well, I'll be very keen to check that out. And um, (laughs) eavesdropping listeners, Juliet was raised by animals. You heard it here first. (laughs)
1: Actually, it's not so far from the truth. You know, I grew up on a farm. (laughs) 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 With pigs and cows and uh, famously a donkey, not a donkey. Well, actually, we did have a donkey. She was called Judy, but famously a turkey that attacked me when I was about five. Running around with no clothes on, and it pecked me on the bottom.
0: <laughs> I feel perhaps we're getting a little bit off topic, but. Um, what is off topic these I, days? Well, quiet. I do love all of that. You had a donkey called Judy.
1: That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was extremely obstreperous. Anyway,
0: um, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of nature, like my segue here. Uh, yeah. I there was something that I sort of wanted to ask you about that is a little bit off topic so if Ooh. we um, yeah exactly uh, something that you and I have sort of talked privately about and you've also um, posted about it on the Facebooks quite regularly I was just wondering about um, how how all of your train travels going because I know we're all trying to fly a little bit less these days and for performing musicians it's uh it's it's not easy especially when um our schedules are so tight and i just sort of curious how how you've been finding it
1: mostly i absolutely love it <clears throat> um i think what i really like about it is that it actually slows me down a little <laughs> i mean it does it does well not always does it take all that much longer but generally it takes a bit longer but simply the the pace of motion obviously is slower than flying and you you get to see the journey with your eyes and with your feel it with your body in a way that you don't really when you're flying mm. it's a major bonus as far as i'm concerned not to have to deal with airport security um i mean not that i have big issues with airport security but that whole airport um environment i makes me go into a kind of very aggressive lockdown i absolutely can't stand it um so everybody wins if i if i don't have to do that um and yeah, I'm more productive. I think if I if I'm sitting on a train than I am with these journeys. You know, the the average journey for me is, well, depending on where I'm flying from in London, half an hour to an hour and a half to an airport where you tend to not really to get anything done because you're changing tube, then you're changing train and you're whatever fiddling with nothing. Then there's all the security stuff, or you don't get anything done then. And when I say getting done, it could be work, but it could also just be relaxing. You know, actually reading a book or doing something healthy. Then the flights to Europe tend to be about an hour, and I don't know. I guess I normally try and sleep, but I, I tend not to be very productive that time. And then it's the, the equivalent at the end. Whereas if I'm doing a a four hour train journey, or um, normally a Eurostar for a couple of hours, and then a change, and then a two to four hour train journey. I do find that I can sit down and settle in and actually do something useful, not to mention the fact that one is on Wi-Fi, which um, makes things easier. There's also, I think, a case to be said that one's body is just in a better state when you arrive, and the older (laughs) that I get, the more decrepit that I get, and I suppose the more I... um, feel that it's my responsibility to be in a in a fit state physically and vocally um, when I arrive for a project it, that matters and all my organs being squashed and all that air conditioning that comes through airports and aeroplanes is just not great for anybody's body but particularly not not great for a singer's voice, I don't think and I find that taking the train takes less of a toll in that regard. The, the only negative I would say that is that since I started this campaign, really not to fly and I haven't flown at all this year yet. I was due to fly tomorrow to Berlin, but obviously that's not happening now. Um, it's happened twice with two very long journeys, London to Vienna. Oh, and I think it was the way home actually. So exactly the same that I really got to the point of thinking, oh, this is so far. Um that was 15 hours or something from from London to Vienna that's you know that is that is a long haul it definitely gets boring you definitely get fidgety but I still think it's better than
0: flying is that when you were texting me that you turned into a vegetable quite possibly Hmm. (laughs) anyway so the question on all of our minds is How did you come to the decision to start eavesdropping? Ooh.
1: Well. I suppose, like these things always are, it wasn't one decision. It was a magical concatenation of tiny desires that... (laughs) turned into depending on how you look at it either a very good idea or a very good very bad idea <laughs> um the my my memory is that the the first impulse was to do something that invited a little audience into the little wooden chapel at Oxford House which was a space at that point that that nobody came into because it it leaked horribly and it had plastic sheeting all over the all over the floor and buckets everywhere. But because it was, um, let's say, not in a great state, uh, I was able to hire it to sing in at quite a low rate and it was always available. So I had this long relationship with the chapel when I moved to East London. It became my studio because I realised that I just couldn't sing at home for various reasons. So I hired it to practice in and um, I just fell in love with that space and it saw me through all sorts of ups and downs and generally made me sound a bit better than I was, which I found <laughs> deeply encouraging. Um, um. So I wanted to bring people into that space. So first of all, I put on a, little, a couple of performances of my own project, um, which I think would have been in about... 2016 but I'm not quite sure Um, no it must have been 2017 and then I thought what happens if I start organizing an event here and when I when I started fantasizing about the people that I might invite to come I realized that a lot of them were women and And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wasn't really expecting that. Um, What happens if I just go for that? Um, So I started drawing up a list of a potential season, which at at that point was just going to be three double bill events. Um, And I just got completely overexcited and thought, (laughs) I've got loads of ideas here. This, This would be really fun. I couldn't think of any other series that was exclusively supporting female performers or female music makers um and I thought it would be worth trying that so so I did so as as I say the initial idea was to do to support six people um over three evenings and then quickly that stretched to four evenings and then the symposium became an idea I can't really remember how how that happened I suppose I was just thinking that it would be nice to bring people together and probably there were other artists that I that I was wanting to weave into first season somehow but um without it turning into a really like a really long string of events um and that's that's basically what happened
0: had you run events before or was this all kind of new when when you decided to
1: no, I mean I've. It, it, it's not such a stretch from having run Xaudi for twelve years, and you know every time you do an own promotion with with an organisation like that, then that's that's a certain amount of work, which which maps pretty closely onto doing something like eavesdropping. Also, I'd done my own own promotions as a as a solo artist, so. Um, I was fairly used to booking a venue and thinking about all the logistical things, um, that an artist might need and very basic promotion and funding and all of that. Um, but what was completely new to me was being the, being the curator or the programmer, um, of that. And I've absolutely loved it. I, it is hard work, but I've, I've been quite surprised actually at just how much pleasure it's given me not, not only to program the season and to research the artists and to try and curate something interesting, but just, just to be there and to, and to host the, the evenings. I, I really love that. And quite often uh, I'm presenting artists who I've never heard live and it's really exciting. It's really exciting hearing them for the first time, just like um, often, the rest of the audience
0: yeah yeah I bet I I mean it's very it's been very clear to me um watching you kind of bound up to the front to introduce (laughs) um your artists that you're absolutely in your element
1: yeah I love it but also a lot of my friends come so when I bound up and look out at the audience it's it's a, a room full of well, a lot of people that I that I know and love, so I'm happy to see them. I'm pleased that they
0: that they've come. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should probably wrap up here, but mm-hmm. um, should we have a little talk about what's going on in the world? Yeah, sure. Um, I didn't want I didn't want it to sort of interrupt our talk about your life as a, um, well, as all of the things that you do, but um, it's a very strange time, I think. It is. For sure. I actually don't know even what the question is.
1: Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, let's not try and guess what's going to happen, because... I think that's going to wear us all out. Um, I'm not even sure that I can tell you much about what I'm planning for for myself for the coming weeks. Um, I sat down a couple of days ago and wrote a little list of all the things that I ought to be doing, assuming that life just carries on <coughs> pieces that I ought to be learning Um, even if the April performances have been cancelled, they, you know, they have performances later in the summer or in next season, um, tasks that were already on my somewhat extensive to-do list. Um, but at the moment I'm kind of just giving myself permission to, to move around between the the tasks or the non-tasks that interest me <laughs> at at the time and to try and adjust actually to this sense that there is no real urgency to anything suddenly. Mm. There's a little bit of urgency f- for me as far as I'm concerned to to get up some eavesdropping material and to communicate with the artists about what my strategy is for the symposium in particular so that's that's a task that is um engaging me at the moment and will for the next few days talking with funders and all that sort of thing so that's an immediate task but it strikes me that it's um it's well over 20 years since I had a period when I just kind of did what I wanted (laughs) with no particular pressure about deadlines or targets or whatever and maybe it's well what I notice is how ingrained that mindset of to-do lists and immediate tasks is and I'm kind of interested to find out if I can um, wriggle free of that a little bit, but at the same time the thing one of the things that frightens me most to my surprise, i mean beyond concerns for for other people and the situation generally um is what happens if uh we're not supposed to be leaving our homes because I find it. I, I'm not quite sure why, but psychologically, I find it extremely difficult to sing at home, and I, I'm, I, uh, I'm frightened about having to confront that, and I'm frightened about failing at confronting that because um, I can already feel that there's a there's a dark and dangerous part of me that is saying maybe it's fine just not to sing for the next two months. Mm. um but that's a really bad plan (laughs) for so many reasons and I I it's that same voice that says maybe it's really fine to watch the whole of season one of The Good Wife in one day (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah so my my fear is that I actually end up in a bit of a bit of a pickle with my with my practice and with my relationship with my voice and then with my relationship with myself. And then I have a full blown identity crisis and God knows what emerges (laughs) when all the curfews lift, (laughs) I might've decided to become a florist. (laughs) 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 So I don't know. I mean, fortunately you didn't give me a question and that's not an answer, but (laughs) those are some rambling thoughts about, where I am on only day four of of self-isolation. At the moment, my studio is still open and I'm going to keep going there and not touching anything for as long as that's possible because that is my way out of this potential crisis.
0: Yes, I think that's wise. I mean, mm. you say there was no question and, and you just rambled, but I think you're rambling also reflects a lot of the voices in my own head. Really? And yes, definitely. I mean, I, I, my, my instrument is not connected to my body in the same way, way that yours is. Um, <clears throat> and that helps a lot. And I'm also a little nervous about if there's a point where I'm still coming up to my studio every day and if I can't do that anymore, Mm. um what that will mean um more for my own kind of mental health than anything else yeah really
1: yeah yeah
0: um
1: I think mental health is a big a big issue for for all of us um and it's interesting to me to see a lot of people throwing a huge amount of energy into um alternative means of uh performing or or working which i which i do really understand that's you know we all respond to this in in different ways but um the the instinct that has risen up in me actually is um is to try and take the pressure off myself um yeah um, which i'm a bit surprised by because I'm something of a workaholic. <laughs> um, but actually in this in this instance, well, I I suspect that it will just have its own flow. There'll be moments when I get bored and I suddenly go into work overdrive. Um, but for the moment I'm just trying to take the pressure off a little and uh just kind of find my footing because realistically I th- I th- I think it's going to take quite a while just to adapt to the current situation. Um, I'm not sure I'm there yet. No, I can't imagine any of us are there. Mm.
0: And the situation changes day by day, so it's very yeah. um, destabilising for all of us.
1: I mean, the one advantage of being in the UK is that we get several days of preparation <laughs> because basically our government follows what everyone else in the rest of Europe is doing about five to seven days later. So... I'm trying to live on European time and then I get several days warning of what is about to happen in the UK. It's really excellent. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Completely ridiculous.
0: <laughs> well, shall we shall we wrap it up here um by saying perhaps that we hope um all of your lovely listeners are keeping healthy and Safe and um, doing some yoga or you know whatever it, whatever it is you do to kind of find some calm in all of this
1: yes absolutely and um, actually it's a good opportunity for me just to say thank you so much to everybody who has just been incredibly supportive um, and compassionate through those very tricky days of me working out what to do with eavesdropping i had so many wonderful messages of support from um audience members or my wonderful board um and not least from the from the artists themselves who like us all are living through a great uncertainty but um they were just so patient and um And beautiful in their responses so I'm very very grateful to the community Um, and yes I hope everybody is is staying safe and please do reach out if if there's if anybody's feeling lonely or having having struggles with their with their own artistic journeys or otherwise reach out I'm happy to chat with Anybody? Heather and I already have a fairly regular appointment over Skype with a cocktail in, in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can extend the invitation to, to other people. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do, Skype, do, Skype do happy out?
0: hour is, um, is definitely the way forward. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> thank you, Heather, so much for doing this. It's, as always, a pleasure to chat to you.
0: Oh, Thank you, Juliet. And um, we'll talk to you soon.